And the Old Testament is just filled with call stories. And interestingly enough, importantly enough, the New Testament has its share of uh, call stories as well. So let's look together at John chapter 1, beginning with verse 43. Boy, lots of nice bass there. Uh, (laughs) Beginning with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree you will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, it's good to be with you one last uh, time before I ride off into the the sunset. Uh, Those words, by the way, uh, to ride off into the sunset uh, are an English idiom. I don't know how important it is to know this, but uh, cowboys in the American West uh, used to ride off into the, the sunset, and usually they did that after they shot a lot of people. Uh, just so you know, I don't know why I'm laughing about that. Uh, uh, just so you know, I'm not planning any violence uh, on my way out of town. Uh, so maybe I should look for a different idiom. But the, the truth is, I'm going to leave with a full heart. There's a good one. Uh, a heart uh, just filled with good memories of my years at uh, IPC. Uh, I'm filled up with gratitude for my time here, and uh, I think it's fair to say that this has been a rich experience for me personally. Uh, Living in a new culture and and then uh, uh, bumping up against uh, other cultures and other ways of of seeing the world has been challenging for me, but in a good way. It's like, I really feel tired tonight, but in a good way. You know? uh, I will return to the U.S. a, a changed person, and presumably with a, uh, I'll, I'll presumably be a person with a bigger and uh, more generous perspective about the world. I don't see how you can have an expat experience and not be changed by it. Can I get an amen? No. <laughs> Uh, Last week, there is a connection uh, here, last week uh, the President of the United States referred to uh, Africa and Haiti in language that I refuse to use in worship, or anywhere else uh, for that matter. Uh, I'll call it vulgar and leave it at that. But but here we are tonight in a a church with uh, many members who come from African countries, uh, there are no members from Haiti at IPC, as far as I know, but I've been to Haiti uh, several times. The, the church I served uh, way back in Michigan 
uh, had a significant mission presence in Haiti, and so I would go on a regular basis, and I uh, was even able to preach there one time in a uh, small Episcopal church in a rural area. And uh, I want you to know that I do not share the president's point of view. All right. uh, I am embarrassed uh, about the language he used, and, and I believe, and I didn't have to come to IPC to learn this, uh, but I believe that all of God's children deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. We are all created in the image and likeness of God, you know, no matter where we are from. Uh, interestingly, cultural stereotyping and, and uh, prejudice show up in our scripture reading uh, for tonight. And uh, I mean, remember Nathaniel's comment, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, this urge... Uh, to see other people as a, a, a cultural or racial stereotype is nothing new. Uh, that doesn't make it right, of course, but uh, it's not new. Nazareth, in the first century A.D., was not a great city by all accounts. Uh, it's not a great city today either. Uh, uh, but had I been born in Nazareth, I would stand here and tell you it was the greatest city that God ever imagined. Uh, in any case, the Gospels contain several of these uh, fascinating details uh, having to do with another person being somehow different or other uh, because he or she is from a, a different culture. Uh, most of you know the story of the Syrophoenician woman, and uh, in the conversation that Jesus has with this woman, uh, her otherness and what that means is more interesting in some ways than the healing that occurs at the end of the story. I mean, we all know the healing's coming, but what makes the conversation interesting is this uh, interchange or conversation they have about her otherness. Uh, at one point, this is interesting and troubling and uh, uh, has not been fully explained, uh, Jesus calls her a dog. Actually, the Greek word there uh, is the diminutive form, so he calls her a puppy, uh, which is how first century Jews referred to all Gentiles. Uh, especially uh, Gentiles from Syrophoenicia. If anyone deserved to be called a dog, it was a Gentile from Syrophoenicia, uh, which is different from Phoenician. I read somewhere this week that people adopted the term Syrophoenician because they didn't want to be confused with Phoenicians. <laughs> and so it goes. And so it has gone for uh, thousands of years. Uh, anyway, the word dog is a jarring word to hear from Jesus' mouth. And uh, he says the word, and I believe this with all my heart. It's the only way I think it's possible to understand this story. Uh, he says the word with a knowing look or uh, a twinkle in his eye as though the two of them are aware uh, of the word he's using and why he's using it. Right? She's different. She's not one of us. He knows it, and so does she. And then uh, the, the, there's an even bigger issue in the, in the gospel accounts, and the issue is the, the Samaritans. The Samaritans uh, show up in the gospels as a cultural group that is despised and, and looked down upon. And, and Jesus, uh, who always turns our ideas upside down uh, and our ways of looking at the world, Jesus refuses to see uh, uh, Samaritans as his contemporaries saw Samaritans. Uh, to Jesus, they were uh, human beings. <laughs> Imagine that. They were uh, deserving of dignity and respect, even female Samaritans. He refused to see that Samaritan woman at the well as anything other than a child of God. 
In fact, his conversation with this uh, woman startled his disciples, and they were embarrassed. And they were not uh, sure what to do uh, when they found him having an actual conversation uh, with this Samaritan woman. In tonight's uh, scripture reading uh, from the, the first chapter of John, Jesus is calling a group of disciples, and all four Gospels uh, tell the story of what happened in the earliest days of Jesus' ministry and how he got started and the steps he took and, and, and so on. Uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a, a version of this call process, and if you've never read those accounts, I, I mean, I encourage you to do that sometime. But then, as always, John has this slightly different uh, uh, perspective or angle, uh, a far different memory, and a far different point he, he wants to make. All four Gospels show us Jesus uh, calling his first disciples in the Galilee region. Uh, Jesus' ministry, it, it just seems clear, began in the north, and John, I think this is interesting, uh, John mentions Peter and Andrew, who figure prominently in the other accounts. They're fishermen, remember. Uh, but John's focus here is not on, on Peter and Andrew, but rather on Philip and Nathaniel, uh, who don't receive much attention at all in the other Gospels. Uh, as a matter of fact, Matthew, uh, Nathaniel does not show up in any of the biblical lists of uh, disciples. And I wonder if you knew that. And, uh, I mean, you can do some fact-checking uh, about my sermon if you, if you would like, uh, but you won't find Nathaniel on any of those other lists contained in, in the Gospels. Uh, he doesn't seem to have been one of the twelve. But clearly, he's important to the story, and I'm going to come back to why he's important in, uh, in a moment. Uh, let me just say as a further introduction that these stories are fascinating and revealing, and, and uh, I love to think about them and imagine them, and I love to go there in my mind's eye. And I don't know if that makes me a better interpreter of the word, but it's uh, enjoyable to go there in my mind's eye and picture how this used to be. I've been to the shores of the Sea of Galilee and uh, where all these call stories take place. It's not hard to identify exactly where, uh, where they were. And uh, the, this place where Zebedee, for example, was mending his nets uh, uh, with his son, J sons James and John. So it's easy for me to imagine what, what this place looks like. And I have heard people say, oh, if only I had been there, you know? If, if only I had seen Jesus act in this way, if only I had heard him teach, if only I had heard the Sermon on the Mount, uh, then it would be so much easier to believe. <laughs> if only I could have observed Jesus' ministry firsthand, then I would have no problem coming to faith. Uh, but if you have said those words or uh, words like them, then here's what I would say to you. Uh, I don't think being there would have helped you very much. I, and, I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. If you had been there to see and hear exactly what happened, Jesus' interactions with these disciples whom he called into ministry, uh, you, you would have seen these men whom Jesus called. You would have seen them up close. Uh, you would have noticed that they were, and, and how do I say this? You would have noticed that they were poorly educated men. Uh, their speech was not polished. There was no trace of a university education. Their personal hygiene, I'm making this up, but it's a pretty good guess. Th their personal hygiene was probably not so good. Right? These guys were rough. Uh, they had never been to a dentist. 
The work they did, most of them, Matthew may have been an exception because he was a tax collector, but the work they did was manual labor. They, these were not the sort of people uh, whom we would have approached during the fellowship time and said, oh, what academic field are you in? What are you doing your PhD in? You know, that's not who these men were. And yet, these were the men whom Jesus called to be his disciples. These were the men who were going to change the world, not the cultural elites and not university educated, uh, not those who score well on achievement tests. These men, to Philip, Jesus said, follow me. And apparently, Philip did just that, huh? immediately. Amazing. There are always going to be people like Philip. He saw, he believed. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing more was needed. I am not like that. Sorry to say. And, and frankly, I envy people who are able to come to faith that way. I resist, I argue, I, I find reasons not to follow. And so the Philips of this world uh, typically put me to shame. In fact, Philip not only responded to Jesus' invitation, this is wonderful, he goes out to find Nathaniel and he evangelizes him. Philip said, and, and, and the, the excitement in his voice is palpable, uh, uh, Philip said, we have found the one described by Moses and the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And immediately, isn't it shocking how fast Nathaniel pours cold water on uh, Philip's excitement? Uh, remember Nathaniel's sarcastic uh, response? Uh, Nazareth, you must be kidding. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So we've all done this. Uh, we have all judged someone. Uh, I regret using the word sarcastic here to describe uh, Nathaniel because it's more than that. We've all judged someone without knowing very much at all about them. Uh, one tiny bit of information is, some, uh, is sometimes all we need to form an opinion about someone. Nazareth? Forget it. I've heard all I need to know. Uh, amazing. Uh, uh, to me, I mean, I'm assuming all of you here tonight are okay with Nazareth and have nothing against people from that city. And, and by the way, it's now the largest city in northern Israel and mostly Arab and, and mostly Muslim, in case you were looking for reasons not to like it. Uh, uh, but I'm curious, if it's, if it's not Nazareth, then, then what triggers your judgment? You know, is it city of origin? Is it uh, country of origin? Is it uh, the, the native language that is spoken? Is it skin color? Is it uh, socioeconomic class? Is it sexual orientation? We, I mean, we all have these trigger points. Uh, reasons why we judge other people, and, and they are embarrassing, or they should be embarrassing, because we give in, when we give in to them, when we allow them to shape our opinions about other people, we sometimes miss what is truly important about them. And, and, and significant, and, and what God has in mind for us to see. Philip's response to uh, Nathaniel's sarcasm, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Philip's response was wonderful, and, and I think you should memorize it and use it uh, whenever you find yourself confronted with prejudice and bias and bigotry. Uh, Philip said, come and see. See for yourself. Uh, what I like about that response is that Philip doesn't, uh, <laughs> Philip doesn't argue with Nathaniel. Uh, he, he knows him too well. They've had this conversation before, maybe. Uh, no amount of arguing and, and persuading is going to change his mind. Bigotry is irrational. 
Uh, you can't come up with an argument to change the mind of a bigot. So uh, Philip simply says, come and see. And those are the words we should use as well. I mean, I, I, I challenge you, we, we should say, I challenge you to put yourself in his presence and, and encounter him the way I encountered him. When you're talking with someone about Christian faith, someone uh, who, who doesn't want to hear it, someone who judges you for believing it, uh, you should say, come and see, or some, some variation on, uh, on those words. Uh, a challenge to move beyond the bigotry and, and beyond the prejudice. Uh, so to Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel's credit, uh, he goes along with Philip to, to meet uh, uh, Jesus, and Jesus says, well, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And another translation puts it this way, look, here's a genuine Israelite, there's no guile in him. Well, that's odd, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what is Jesus talking about? Clearly, there's more to Jesus' comment that we don't get 20 centuries later. Uh, scholars believe that John, the gospel writer John, is using Nathaniel here as a symbol for all of Israel coming to God. Uh, that's Nathaniel's role in the story. That's the reason Nathaniel doesn't show up in, in the lists of disciples you find throughout the, the gospels. So don't get me wrong, Nathaniel's a real character. He's not made up. But in John's way of telling the story... Nathaniel plays this symbolic role of representing all of Israel. Uh, the New, uh, International Version translates the, the Greek here as an, an Israelite in whom there is nothing false or in whom there is no deceit, but that's not right. right? The, the Greek word that's used here in, 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 in verse 47 is the word for guile, uh, which can also mean craftiness or being tricky or, or underhanded. Uh, there aren't many biblical characters who are described as being full of guile, but there is one. Uh, the most famous trickster of uh, them all, and his name was oh, <laughs> Jacob. Jacob. Right? In fact, God renamed him Israel. Right? So what the earliest hearers of this story heard was this. Jesus said, here is an Israelite with no Jacob in him. Here is a son of Jacob who is not a chip off the old block. There's another English idiom. There's even a reference in the last verse of our reading for tonight to make this clear. So it's unmistakable. So the reference is to angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So John, the gospel writer, is leaving no doubt in our minds about what this is about. This is a reference to a dream that Jacob had one night with angels, in, uh, angels ascending and descending uh, on a ladder at a place he called Bethel. So this is Israel, finally, uh, who is not Jacob. And Jesus is glad to see him, and Jesus welcomes him. And Nathaniel, this is stunning, Nathaniel comes to believe rather quickly, and he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Look, the, the, the last point I want to make tonight is that Jesus is still looking for disciples. He's not going to do this work alone. Uh, he had a, a major role to play, of course, uh, a decisive role. He had to do something that not one of us could do on our own. Uh, but at some point, the rest of the job was going to be ours, the cleanup, so to speak. All right, so Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again, and then he leaves, and, and he gives over a piece of himself. He gives over his spirit to us, because we are going to need it, and we are going to need large doses of it. 
Uh, we are going to continue his work of making disciples and of calling people like Nathaniel to faith. And here's the shocking truth. Uh, we are no better than the original group. Uh, re remember that I characterized them as uneducated and as having bad hygiene and bad teeth? Uh, well, uh, they did pretty well with what they had. Uh, they did a remarkable job with their bad educations and their bad teeth. Uh, and then uh, they turned over the responsibility to us, uh, people who have far greater advantages than they did, and my question for you is, how are we doing? You know, it's easy and, and fun, I have to say, to put down the disciples. They're so easy to mock and, and criticize. Uh, you read the Gospels and you think, oh, they don't get it, they don't understand, and, 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 and they're even trying to angle for good jobs in the kingdom of, uh, of heaven, one of my favorite stories. And, and so uh, we feel so superior to them. But tell me, how are we doing? Over the years, I've looked at gatherings of pastors because I go to a lot of gatherings of pastors, and I even started to think this way in seminary. I would look around and I would think, oh, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> These people are going to uh, lead the church to victory? No way. I had a seminary classmate from uh, Bayonne, New Jersey, and I'm ashamed of this now. I don't think I've ever used this in a, as a sermon illustration, but uh, we referred to uh, Bob as Bayonne Bob. Uh, Bayonne was like Nazareth. Nothing good ever came out of Bayonne, New Jersey. And uh, Bayo and Bob graduated along with the rest of us, and uh, he heard God's call to Australia, which surprised us because we didn't think that Bob would ever find a call. <laughs> but Bob was called to Australia, where he established a church. And it wasn't the first church ever established in Australia, but it was a new church. And here's the thing, that church grew and grew and grew. And somehow, and I, as I said, I'm ashamed to admit this, but somehow God used Bayonne Bob to grow a church larger than any of his other classmates ever served. In a country where church going uh, is not quite as accepted as it is in the United States, where the rest of us served. Somehow God uses a lot of people who, who, who don't look like they can get the job done. Uh, people like Peter and Andrew and, and uh, Philip and Nathaniel and James and John. Remember the nickname that James and John are given in the Bible? They're sons of thunder, like they're a, a motorcycle gang. God uses people like that. And God uses you and me to grow his church and to grow his kingdom, and it starts with a simple invitation, follow me. Uh, do you think... You have what it takes? Uh, you probably don't. I mean, I'll just be frank with you. You probably don't have what it takes. Uh, but that doesn't matter. And this is what I've discovered through 40 years of pastoral ministry. God gives us what it takes. Right? So follow me. And, and if you have responded uh, to that invitation, if you have not responded to that invitation yet in your life, uh, I invite you to do it tonight. Follow me.